Wowie. That was a great introduction. Um, it's so good to see you all here this morning on the day I like to call um, the day when an hour of sleep is sucked away from my life. So uh, we're so glad. The, um, they we're actually repurposing um, the communion cups today, and the extras will be coming around soon with um, shots of espresso for anyone that would... Uh, <laughs> No, it's hard. It is hard to spring forward. If we could just fall back every time, it would be so much easier. I know we'd end up, I think our work day would end up in the middle of the night at some point if we kept doing that, but it sounds good in theory. I I am so honored. Um, It's such a privilege to stand here, and I know I I say this every time I come up, but um, it really gives me a new appreciation for what Pastor Dan and the other pastors um, go through to put together a message. And, and every time they come up here, they never look like they're going to throw up. So I just think that's amazing. And um, I have an incredible small group that I belong to. They are amazing. And all day yesterday, I had a small group, um, some of my small group people texting me, Laura, you're going to do great. You're not going to barf. You know, and so it's so encouraging to get that. And one of our, um, Terry... June Min, she is one of our members, and she's actually down in Arizona, but texting me a picture of, um, she said, Laura, you know, I know you're a rule follower, you know, and you, um, you know, an upstanding citizen, and so here is a traffic sign for you, and it was one that says no parking, but instead it said no barfing, and so she said I could just put it right here, and then I'd be sure, and I'm sure all the front row appreciates the, uh, the no barfing. <laughs> Y'all didn't know you're going to hear so much about barfing this morning, right, when you came to church. But really, I am not here to talk about that. I am here to talk about Thessalonians. So we are going to be taking a look at the fourth book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, verses 1 through 12. And in this part of the letter, Paul is sharing God's will for them to be holy, but not like a bunch of rule followers like the Pharisees were but rather people who are fully devoted to loving God with all of their heart, mind, and strength, and in doing so, loving others as they love themselves. Paul is trying to share here what God is most concerned about in our lives. It's not really where we are or where we're going, although that is important, but really, what kind of people are we becoming? Are we growing in our love for God and our love for others? Are we increasingly becoming less and less drawn to sin and more and more attracted to the things of God? Are we giving the Holy Spirit more and more influence in our lives? So in short, are we becoming less self-centered and more Christ-centered? So we're going to look at this today and we're going to talk about what it means to truly honor God. And I'd like to start us all out in prayer. Dear Lord, we are so blessed to come into your house this morning, Lord. We ask that you would just pour out on us this morning, Lord, that these would be the words that you speak and that we would have ears and hearts to receive them. We just thank you, Lord, and we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles or your smartphone or your iPad, or you can look up on the screen, and we're going to go through 1 Thessalonians verses 4, 1 through 12. Brothers and sisters, we taught you how to live in a way that will please God, and you are living that way. Now we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to live that way even more. You know what we told you to do by the authority of Lord Jesus. God wants you to be holy and to stay away from sexual sins. He wants each of you to learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. 
Don't use your body for sexual sin like the people who do not know God. Also, do not wrong or cheat other Christians in this way. The Lord will punish people who do these things, as we have already told you and warned you. God called us to be holy and doesn't want us to live in sin. So the person who refuses to obey this teaching is disobeying God, not simply a human teaching. And God is the one who gives us his Holy Spirit. We do not need to write you about having love for your Christian family because God has already taught you to love each other. And truly, you do love the Christians in all of Macedonia. Brothers and sisters, now we encourage you to love them even more. Do all you can to live a peaceful life. Take care of your own business and do your own work as we have already told you. If you do, then people who are not believers will respect you and you will not have to depend on others for what you need. So there is a lot going on in this passage, right? But I really think that we need to take a hold of what Paul is trying to share with the Thessalonians here. And I think we can break this scripture down into two different areas. So I believe the first part of what Paul is talking about is honoring God with how you live. So in verse 7, it states, God called us to be holy and does not want us to live in sin. So what is holy? How do we perceive holy? So when I say the word holy, you might have some images maybe of people that come in your mind of when you think of holy. And for me, like one person is like Mother Teresa, right? If I'm thinking of somebody that's holy, it might be her. You know, the way she served the people um, was amazing. Or maybe Billy Graham, right? The legacy that he's left behind. Surely, if, if anybody's holy, Billy Graham's holy, right? He just left this amazing legacy. Or maybe it might be something like this. Like, this is this painting, and all these people, you see, they have little circles over their heads, so they must be holy, right? They have the little glowing circle. These, all these people, I don't know who they are, but they sure look holy. They, they're holding, like, really important stick-looking things as well, so that must mean they're holy. Or, or maybe this guy, I mean, he's in a really fancy outfit, and, and his hat, you know, the, the taller the hat, the closer you are to God, right? So, so this guy, he must be holy by, by the way he looks. And, and then, of course, there's the disciples. Well, they were with Jesus, so that's like a holy given, right? It's like, yeah, you're automatically holy if you were walking with Jesus, right? So this is a pretty high standard if we're thinking about holy, about being holy. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to look at the definition, the actual definition of holy in Webster's Dictionary. Um, and I was not encouraged. Um, Webster says, <laughs> exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Okay? And then devoted entirely to the deity or the work of the deity or having a divine quality. And then I read a little further, and you can use the word holy as an intensive. And so an example of that would be Laura was a holy terror as a child. This seems a much more applicable use of the word in my life. So this definition, I mean, it's, this is a high standard. How could I ever measure up to being holy? But then I ran across this definition of holiness in the Bible study tools. And I just thought this was so cool. Holiness in the highest sense belongs to God and to Christians as consecrated to God's service. And insofar as they are conformed in all things to the will of God. Personal holiness is a work of gradual development. 
It is carried on under many hindrances, hence the frequent admonitions to watchfulness, prayer, and perseverance. I just thought, that was so great. And then it says, see sanctification. So I'm like, okay, we'll see sanctification. So sanctification says, sanctification involves more than a mere moral reformation of character brought, upon, brought about by the power of the truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influences of the new gracious principles implanted in the soul in regeneration. Personal holiness is a work of gradual development. Being holy isn't something that just all of a sudden happens, like, ta-da, today I am holy, right? It just doesn't happen like that. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make ourselves holy. Holiness isn't an attitude. Well, holier than thou, I guess, could be an attitude, right? But I don't think that's what um, we're meant to be. We certainly can't do certain things or wear certain clothes or perform certain tasks to be holy. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So several years ago, my kids were, were small at the time. Um, we went on vacation with some friends of ours, and Mike and Terry Fawcett and their kids and their grandkids, and we all went to Pacific Beach, and they, the boys were having an Xbox competition. That was the thing to do, right? And the, the boys all brought their Xboxes. Let me just tell you right now, I do not know anything about the thing. I know it's a black box, and they look at it, and things move on the screen, and they push a bunch of buttons. That's all I know. That's the limit of my knowledge of Xbox. But the boys were having a competition, and they all brought TVs, and they had wires going all through the house because you can't be in the same room as another person because then that screen watching, it's a thing. I don't even know. But anyways, they were having this big competition. So the ladies, of course, we wanted nothing to do with this, and we, like normal people, went outside and talked and visited. And all of a sudden, we hear this commotion just running through the house and screaming and hollering and help, 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 and a slamming of door and pounding. And we thought, what? They're playing a game, you know, a video game. What in the world? So we go in there, and the two adults are standing at the restroom door, pounding on the door with Brendan, our son, Dave and I's son. He's 10 years old at the time, in the bathroom going, Mom, Mom, help, help. And the two adults are pounding on the door, and we are like, what? is going on and those two grown men turn around put their hands on their hips and pretty much threw a tantrum like a five-year-old little boy brandon just kept killing us and killing us and killing us and he never gives us a chance and he is cheating so we decided that um they needed to take an xbox timeout until they could play nicely with the other kids. So when we play games, we follow rules, right? And during this Xbox game, there was much anguish and accusations and the chasing down of small children because they felt in their mind that the rules were not being followed. <laughs> Dave's not bitter to this day. It was only... 20 years ago, but no, he's, <laughs> he's fine with it. But I think sometimes we get this attitude in the church about following the rules. We look down on ourselves and sometimes even on others because we perceive that the rules are not being followed. 
that somehow holiness is defined by how well we follow a set of rules. We determine our relationship with God or the relationship that others have with God by the boxes that we can check off a list. By making sure we're following all the rules and rituals, it creates this perception of what our relationship with God is. It narrows it down to what exactly what I do, what exactly must I do to keep things right between me and God. It focuses us, focuses us on a checklist. Like if I do this and this and this, things are okay between God and I. If I read the Bible every day, sometimes twice on Sundays, if I go to every church service, if I go to every church meeting, then things are okay with me and God. But this type of thinking is self-centered. It's not God-centered. It's about what I have to do to keep things right with God. There's nothing I have to do to keep things right with God. It makes the interaction between God and I about tasks to complete not about a relationship. So Paul isn't talking to the Thessalonians about following all the rules. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was very familiar with all the rules and the rites and the rituals. Paul was telling the Thessalonians to avoid sin, not because it was breaking the rules, but because sin is what separates us from God. And when we are separated from God, the Holy Spirit cannot do his work in and through us. We must avoid sin to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. In the first part of this passage, Paul was talking to the Thessalonians about living pure and staying away from sin. So in verse 4-8, it says, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So sin disregards God. God gives us the Holy Spirit. If we live in sin, then we reject what the Holy Spirit is calling us to be and to do. And God loves his people so much. God wants to abide in us. He wants the Holy Spirit to work through us. He calls us to be holy, not so we can check off a list of do's and don'ts. It's so he can do a work in and through us. Holiness does not require following a list of rules. It requires relationship. Holiness is being able to commune with God, to have the Spirit abiding in his temple, which is us. So when Jesus went and died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two. And why did that happen? Because God was no longer abiding in a place. There isn't a building or an area in the world or a tent or a house or anything that you have to go to in order to be in the presence of God. God no longer abides in a place because he abides in us. We are the holy place. So we are holy not because of what we do, but because of who is living in us. And I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. God doesn't want something from us. He simply wants us. 
So in the second part of this passage in Thessalonians, I believe Paul is talking about honoring God with how you love. In verse 9 and 10, it says, We do not need to write you about having love for your Christian family, because God has already taught you to love each other. And truly, you do love the Christians in all of Macedonia. Brothers and sisters, now we encourage you to love them even more. So it was evident that the Thessalonians knew how to love their brothers and sisters. And Paul encouraged them to love them even more. Why is this so important? So we talked earlier about rules and rituals and how there isn't a checkoff list that you can have that it's about relationship. And our, our small group just recently finished um, a study by Andy Stanley called Brand New. And it's on Right Now Media. If you have a chance, check it out. Super, super great. Um, and this analogy was in there, and it really just spoke to me. So how many of you have kids that play sports, right, or grandkids, or these, right? And we had all six of our kids playing sports at one time, and let me tell you, it got dicey getting these guys to the right practice. I'm like, what? I don't care if you don't play volleyball. I drove you here. You go play. You know, it's like <laughs> you're just trying to get the kids to the right place. And when our oldest got his driver's license, it's like, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He's got his license. He can help transport these kids. But we go to every game. You know, you go to all the games. And But have you ever been at one of your kids' games and someone does something to hurt your child? Like maybe it's an umpire that gives an unfair call. Or maybe it's some other kid that just takes a dirty and cheap shot. And I don't know about you, but for me, Mama Bear just starts rising up in me. I'm like, hey, you're hurting my kid. That's my kid. Don't hurt my kid. And after that happens, if that person that hurt my kid came over and, and started singing songs to me or telling me how amazing I am or give me gifts, that's not going to matter because they hurt my kid. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, this was his response. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Not just the people we like. Not just the people that we have the same religious or political affiliations with. Just love people. Paul even said that nothing else matters but this. Galatians 5, 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It is the only thing that counts. Galatians 5, 14 says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is fulfilled by loving people. But how can this be? Aren't there not lists in the Bible of thou shalt and thou shalt not? How is the entire law fulfilled by just loving people? So early in this verse, Paul speaks specifically about sexual sin. And in verse 4, it says, God wants each of you to learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Don't use your body for sexual sin like people who do not know God. And that sounds like a really big thou shalt not, right? Why is Paul saying this? Why is it important? Is it because we're breaking a rule? Is it because God said so? And, and those are all true, but it's not the why. 
This particular type of sin is one of the most devastating departures from the will of God. It is destructive, not only to those involved, but those that surround them. So I'm sure every one of us can think of, of like a public figure that sexual sin has impacted in some way, right, in our world today. It destroys relationships. It destroys families. It destroys careers. It even destroys churches. It just lays waste to everything that it touches. It is the cause of so much pain and so much hurt and so much shame. And God does not call us to a life of shame. We are all valuable and precious and important to God. This is not about breaking a rule, but God loves us so much. He is loving us so much that he wants to keep us from harm. And let me tell you, I stand before you as someone that had a child at 17. I know, I know this devastation. And I know that God is a God that restores. He is not a God of shame. He is a God of grace. Jesus tells us to love God and to love people. To love our neighbors as ourselves. So when we sin, we are not loving others. We are hurting God's kids when we sin. Both ourselves and each other. If we love others like we love God, how could we possibly do anything that would hurt them? If we filtered our desire to sin through the lens of loving God and loving people, then we would know that every time we lie, we are covering ourselves at the expense of someone else. Every time we cheat, we steal, whatever the sin might be, we are not only hurting ourselves, but hurting others. Our greatest call, our greatest mission is to love God and to love people. Because those people are God's kids. You and I, we're God's kids. And God loves his kids. And there is no amount of attending a church or singing of songs or giving of gifts that will ever make a difference if we don't love God's kids. And how do we know this? How do we know that loving people is what matters? Because Jesus tells us it does. In Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking, and he's um, speaking a parable here. And it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we honor God's kids, we honor him. And I heard this statement recently in the, the small group lesson I was telling you about, and it really just has been a burden on my heart ever since. What does love require of me? If we just asked ourselves that question in every situation, what does love require of me? When I'm at the office and I have to deal with that really difficult employee, what does love require of me? When my next door neighbor is rude and mean and disrespectful and doesn't bring the garbage cans in when I want them to, what does love require of me? When there is someone standing on the corner with a cardboard sign, what does love require of me? When someone I love is living a life outside of relationship with God, what does love require of me? And I know I feel like this has been personally something that I've struggled with, and I think sometimes we place people into categories. That's just an addict. They're just an alcoholic. He or she is just promiscuous, conservative, liberal, eccentric, closed-minded, lazy, whatever the category is. We group people together, and by narrowing down their identity to one word, it allows us to dismiss them and marginalize their humanity. We then don't have to account for them or their point of view or their circumstances because it doesn't align with ours. But that is not what God has called us to do. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors, regardless of what they believe, regardless of where they stand, we are called to love. Because the way we treat others makes a difference in our life. And it has a direct impact on our relationship with God. And we had Billy Graham up earlier, and I love, love this quote from him. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict God's job to judge, and my job to love. Loving God and loving people is not complicated, but it is very demanding. And it is also the essence of following Jesus. John fifteen twelve says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Philippians 2.5 says, In your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So if we honored God with how we lived and honored God with how we loved, how would that change our families, our cities, our nation? What if we could drop the checklist and the worrying about what we have to do to please God? What if we allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work in our life? And what if we realized 
that we are honoring God by loving each other. And Mark 12, 31 says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Church, you are God's kids. God loves you so much. God's love for us required him to give his son. Love required Jesus to die on a cross for your sins and for mine. What does love require of me? thought I'd go far away on mission. I really did. I really thought my calling would be international. And I never, never in a million years thought that the Lord would ask me to walk outside of my door and get to know my neighbors. I'm Kristen Shell, and I live in Austin, Texas. I am a wife and a mother of four children. Any given day, I am in the kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer, and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, Um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard, and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was going to have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard, and it was going to be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color, and I did. I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table. It's bright turquoise. It's sitting in the front yard, and now I'm like, well, now what do I do? I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer and I even um, I had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed and I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter Peggy. (laughs) 
So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a, co a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. Um, that it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you. Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door and we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. Mm -hmm.